When something goes viral, we watch it, we share it, we might mention it to a friend, and then, boo, it's gone into the ether, and we wait for the next one. It's an endless conveyor belt of content. On today's show, we meet someone who has added countless material to that conveyor belt, from pop culture mashups to animated Buffy videos. The Buffy one nearly killed me. And we ask the question, why do they do it, and what do they get out of it? I'm Liam Garrity, and it's time to meet your... Maker. <coughs> Excuse me. Meet your maker. Sorry, I've got a little bit of a cold today and like kind of a sore throat and a little bit of coffiness, so apologies if that disrupts any of the conversation. Stephen Byrne is from Dublin, but now lives in Seattle, where he's an art director for a games company. I'm really glad that I decided to go. I think even regardless of the city itself, I think just taking yourself out of your comfort zone and placing yourself in an environment where you don't know anyone is just always a fascinating experience. You learn so much about yourself. Stephen is all about learning, which actually helps him produce a lot of illustration that goes viral. How? Well, it's that old saying. Practice, practice, practice. The more you work on your art, the more it'll improve. And Stephen is constantly drawing. And the things he decides to draw are exactly the kind of stuff the internet goes crazy for. For example, he's done a Disney Doctor Who, which, well, that kind of explains itself. But there's another great illustration of Snow White on the toilet and her prince brushing his teeth beside her with the caption, Happily Ever After. He's drawn the Incredible Hulk as a hipster. I mean, there's tons of these. But before all of this, Stephen wasn't aware that his art could have the power to go viral. But when it first did, he says that was a eureka moment for him. So before that point, I did like drawings for my friends and I did little comic books about my friends and and their adventures as superheroes. And like, you know, like a hundred people read them and it gave me some notoriety among my immediate circle of friends. And then one night I was watching the new sh- reality show on Irish TV, Fade Street. I'm Louise. And Vogue. Nice to meet you. Get close up and personal with the residents of Fade Street. Meet their friends and experience the highs and lows of life in the city. A brand new series. And I was like, this is so bad. And then I thought of the name Fake Street. And I was like, it's just too perfect not to do. And so I just set up a Facebook page, put a few cartoons up that kind of made fun of it. And then that went from zero to 2,000 followers overnight and like ended up, I don't know, like 6,000 or something like that. I guess that was like my first sort of realization that the stuff that I do can appeal to a wider audience than just my friends if... I guess it incorporates something that they already know about, like celebrities or popular culture or whatever's going on in the world. I'm sort of of the belief that if it's going to go, it's going to go and you won't be able to stop it. And there's not really much you can do to help that. With Fake Street, I just like I, I basically did it for my friends. And so I just put it up. I, I made it so other people could see it, but I just put it up for my friends. And then I invited, you know, whatever my 200 friends on Facebook were to come see it. And it went out from there. Even the makers of Fade Street saw it. I remember, like, hearing that the production company had, like, printouts of the comic book on their wall and stuff like that. But the thing was, nobody in the rest of the world had ever heard of Fade Street. I mean, it was a crappy Irish reality show, so there was still a limit to how viral his Fake Street cartoons could go. So he decided to make things a bit more universal for his next illustration. 
I did Sexy Batman, <laughs> which was, uh, what was it? It was like, if, if male superheroes were treated equally by pinup artists and I did Batman in like a scantily clad outfit and that, that went around a fair bit and appeared on a few different sites and then I did and I like so many people were like do more do more do more I was like yeah it's it's satire now if I do more it's porn <laughs> and so I did one more where I just did a cast of super characters to just kind of like take the joke to its nth degree and then just left it and haven't done anything on that since Sexy Batman, which is fun to say, brought Stephen a weird mix of Twitter followers. I got, like, feminists and comic book people. Adam Hughes retweeted it, so a lot of, like, pinup artist people. And then I also got, like, furries and sex industry workers and stuff that all started following me and sharing it around as well. So I was like, yeah, there's, yeah, there's something there, but I, I've said what I needed to say, and I don't need to say it again. If something happened in the news or in pop culture, Stephen would have a cartoon to match it within hours. Speed seemed to be a crucial element in his early viral illustrations. I don't, I don't know, actually. Now that it's funny that you mentioned that, because I remember I used to do that. I used to be very focused on, like, because I was doing, like, the, the fake street stuff, and then I was doing cartoons for the Dubliner magazine and for the Irish Independent, and it was all about, like, current, topical, and so that was the mindset I was in. But I don't think I do that anymore, because now I, I think the stuff I do is more complex, and I'm much more about... Well, if we're going to be working on this for so long, I'm just going to pick something that I really want to do. When you come home from work for like the a bazillionth day and you're like, oh, I just want to sleep, but I'm going to keep going. It's easier when it's something that I'm already kind of passionate about. And something that Stephen is very passionate about is Doctor Who. I was doing a lot of illustration stuff and I was like maybe feeling like I was topping out with that or wasn't, um, I wasn't like developing as fast as I used to, sort of finding my groove with it. And so I wanted to do something new. And I think that resulted in me starting to do a little Doctor Who animation. And I remember I started it and then I, after like a few days, I just kind of, it, it was just laborious because I hadn't done any animation since college, really. And I gave up and I, I left it. And then I don't know what, but somewhere like six months down the line or something, I got the, the enthusiasm back to continue doing it. And so it was, it, was more, it was about relearning animation. It was about seeing if I could push the type of stuff I was doing further. So Stephen thought, what if Doctor Who was a Saturday morning kids show? He made a 45-second opening sequence for it. And it's definitely, it's like a homage to Gravity Falls, which is like, to me, like the best kids cartoon out there at the moment that sort of crosses generations. And I know a lot of adults that watch it, maybe even more adults that watch it. And so I was like, if you were going to do Doctor Who as a cartoon, that's the the tone it should be and so, so that it's got that sort of knowing humor even though it's, it is slanted so the kids can get like super excited by like the colors and the monsters and all that kind of stuff but it's still got that sort of knowing humor that the sort of super fans of Doctor Who and the grown-ups of it wouldn't be alienated by it that was the basic philosophy behind it plus Gravity Falls has quite a simple animation style and so I was like okay I can imitate that reasonably well I didn't even like do that good a job of imitating it it's not like the animation and it isn't great but I just was sort of 
I, yeah, I was pitching the animation level at the level that those kinds of shows are. His video went everywhere, from CNET to the Doctor Who magazine to BleedingCool.com. It was on BBC America on a documentary that they were doing because I, I was, uh, I'm so, I'm so I'm, I feel, I always feel so like cynical when I think about some of the things I've done. Like I deliberately launched it like a couple of weeks before the launch of the new series to like capitalize on the interest, and so. They were making a documentary at the time, and they already had a section in the documentary that was dedicated to the types of things that fans do. And then my my thing came up, and they got onto me, and it was like super quick turnaround. They were like, "We need it by tomorrow. Uh, can we do this? You know, sign this NDA and all that kind of stuff." And yeah, so I think that was probably the icing on the cake was the the BBC America thing, and then you know it was also floating around the internet for a bit. When Stephen finishes a project, he starts to look back at it, and that kind of spurs him on to do the next one. So I looked at the Doctor Who one when it was done, and I was like, oh my god, it's so bad. And I was like, I need to, yeah, I just need to put more time into it. I need to make something where I definitely put more of my energies into it, and I really devote myself to it. I mean, the Doctor Who one, I turned around in like two weekends and a, and a couple of weeknights, and then it was kind of about me being like, I didn't expect that to happen with the Doctor Who one. I didn't expect it to go that big, and so it was kind of me being like, oh, it's like, so now people think that that's like the best I can do, and so I was like, I need to do something better and just I guess keep developing and and improving in that skill set I think it's the it's the curse and the gift of an artist's life which is that it's a horrible experience constantly because you're never happy with anything you do but then that's also the reason why you are driven to move forward and improve and there's sometimes there's a sweet spot where you get like a couple of days where you're like I'm kind of happy with that but that will always go away (laughs) Coming up after the break, Stephen tries to outdo himself with an animated video to Buffy the Vampire Slayer that makes its way all the way back to Buffy. Uh, Well, Sarah Michelle Gellar. This episode of Meet Your Maker is brought to you by Restored Hearing, a company changing the way the world hears by ridding it of avoidable hearing damage. Their founders, Rona Tower and Imar O'Carroll, developed Sound Relief, a tinnitus sound therapy which aims to reduce tinnitus severity within the first month of treatment. Emer has had first-hand experience of the dreaded buzzing. Back in the day, we used to go to lots of concerts and gigs, and then I used to also play the drums in a band. Obviously, that produces a lot of loud noise, and and the loud noise ended up giving me tinnitus. And what was the band called? The band was the Sunstroke Penguins. <laughs> <laughs> They've been name-checked more this year than they have been, like, over a decade. <laughs> I can find you some footage. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> do not. <laughs> if you or someone you know suffers from tinnitus, try Restored Hearing's Sound Relief app now with a free seven-day trial. No credit card details required. And if you like it, you can get a 10% discount on your first purchase by using the code MAKER at the checkout. So for his next project, Stephen set about making an opening sequence for an animated version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. While the Doctor Who project had taken him less than three weeks, the Buffy project was going to take months. The Buffy one nearly killed me. I was nothing else in my whole existence except for it for several months. And the time was just every, pretty much without fail, every single evening. And then on weekends, I would work like like a full eight-hour day and you know, then take a 
a weekend evening off or whatever, but it was just nonstop. So it's just some weird, crazy compulsion of I get home and, you know, I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to watch TV? No, that's not going to amount to anything. And so I want to do something productive with my time. And so I'll just sit down at the desk and start making things. And eventually they come together into something. And then the Buffy thing, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Anthony Stewart had some of the cast members saw it and shared it around. Joss Whedon, the creator of Buffy, tweeted about another of Stephen's projects, a cartoon of the TV show Firefly. I remember my hands were physically shaking when I, I woke up to, to see that. I was literally, yeah, I was literally shaking and I, I couldn't function for a whole day. So with all this exposure and likes and favourites and retweets, does that translate into opportunities? There's been a few things that came out of the Doctor Who one and then I think even more so the Buffy one. Because even though the Doctor Who one got more shariness, I feel like the Buffy one had a more like visceral, like fan base reaction. Doctor Who is kind of more of a broader audience. Buffy is more niche. And so I think people who were really passionate about it got more excited by it. And so both of them, stuff came up. Most of it I couldn't do or cho- decided not to do because, I, because of my job in America, which I love. And n- nothing has been like so amazing as to... Like, if, if, you know, if the BBC was like, we want to make a Doctor Who series and you should do it, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's probably something that I would consider. Or Joss Whedon was like, we should collaborate sometime. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, okay. Even though the goal for Stephen is to always be learning and improving, he does think that part of the motivation behind doing all of these side projects is kind of a feeling of security for the future. You know, there's, there's places I can poke around if I'm, you know, in a future situation, if I'm looking for work, there's like those sorts of things. And I think... After the Buffy one went out, I kind of was like, you know, if I didn't have a full-time job right now, I would probably have enough projects to keep me going for like the next, I don't know, six months or something based on the types of things that were coming my way. And so there's at least part of it that's like, okay, well, if I have one of those in my pocket and I put it out there when I'm, you know, facing unemployment, then it would be helpful, like practically helpful. But that's sort of in the abstract and not really the driving force behind it. Mostly I'm just kind of making things because I can't think of anything better to do with my time. I get a lot of like creative satisfaction and you know, a degree of freedom in the day job, more so than I would say most people have. And so I'm very lucky and blessed. And that's part of why I like that job so much. But there's, it's true that there's something particularly uh, special about just coming home and making the thing that you want to make, how you want to make it. And you know what? It's it's being able to skimp on quality, actually, is the is the blessing. Because it's like, if you're doing it for yourself, you can kind of go, okay, I changed my mind. I'm not going to do that part. And it's fine, because you're the one in charge. And I always regret those things later. But in the moment, it's like, I need to do them to preserve my sanity. Uh, whereas you can't do that if you're working for a client and there's specifications and you have to meet requirements. And so, and so... That's Yeah, that's definitely part of the appeal. And also sometimes just being like, I cannot function anymore. I'm not working on anything tonight, which you can't do if you have a deadline for something. 
The other thing about having your stuff go viral is the thousands upon thousands of people looking at your work and offering their thoughts. I get my share of abusive comments, but I kind of love them. Everything you put up gets a degree of bile spewing at you for it. I don't understand the reasons, but I always just find it very entertaining and I kind of love reading them and it sort of feeds me a little bit. It's like people care enough to get angry about something I've done. I mean, I don't, I'm not out to please everyone. I'm just kind of out to make stuff for me and I always just find it entertaining when other people get like rage fog about it and write in all caps. When it comes to money versus passion, Stephen says always follow passion. The thing is, I've just found that when you do the things you're passionate about, it, you do them better. You get more excited about it. People see that in you. People like that and people want to, you know, work with you again or they'll recommend you or you'll just sort of follow the right path and you just find yourself doing more and more stuff that you like. I remember when I left college, I remember my dad being all like, 3D animation, 3D is where it's at because he was just reading in the newspapers that it's all 3D, there's no more 2D. And I felt this like pressure to like learn 3D. But when I was doing 3D animation in, in college, it just didn't particularly stimulate me in the same way. And somewhere along the way, I was like, you know what, I'm t- I'm t- it, it, I don't enjoy it, so I'm not going to do it. And I started doing 2D stuff, which there's, there is less of, but I'm happier when I'm doing it. And for, to me, that's the whole... The, the whole like or 90% of the battle of life is just find something that makes you happy and do it as much as you can. I was having a look at Stephen's Facebook page, which is called Artwork of Stephen Byrne. And there's this one cartoon he made to celebrate the milestone of reaching 5,000 likes. He's actually closer to 20,000 now, but at the time it was 5,000. And it's a picture of him sitting at his desk in a dimly lit room. The computer screen is illuminated with a glow of 5,000 likes as Stephen hooks up the computer wire to the veins in his arm like heroin. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it is like a drug. It's, it is my drug in the sense that it's like, it feeds me. And there, there's something kind of, there's something pretty shallow in that, in that you want the kind of like, the feedback and the adoration. But I think every artist, like, well, maybe not every artist, but most artists that I know growing up and the kind of artists that work in, like, animation and games and stuff, they they all kind of just are doing it... Well, f- okay, I won't speak for other artists. For me, I'm doing it because I want that same fix that I got when I was, like, like eight years old and my parents were like, oh, my God, that's such a good drawing. Well done. Keep going. <laughs> and so as I've gotten older, my parents' words have become meaningless. And then, and then I became, you know, more interested in the words of, like, my peers and people I respected, and that's still super valuable. But also, if a mass audience responds to something, then that's like a sugar rush to my brain that I thoroughly enjoy and will probably work very hard <laughs> to get. And it just, it takes a lot out of me as well. And there is a come down as well, like when, you know, when the dust settles and it's like, oh yeah, okay, so that, what, what was that worth? But then I'm like, well, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> okay, so I know it kind of sounds like Stephen's story ends here, but it doesn't. All that happened a few years ago. In between then and now, Stephen has continued to post stuff and it has continued to go viral. He was still working in the gaming company in Seattle when everything changed. When did everything change? And I always find that (laughs) like an interesting one because there's a really, really short answer, which is when like DC emailed me and said, do you want to make a comic book? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, Uh, but there's a really long answer, which is, you know, it was a slow build over years of 
continuously posting stuff online and then posting my own comic books online and, you know, those getting shared around and feeling like I was continuously kind of like screaming into a void, like no one, no one was, like I was getting some stuff shared around, but, but I didn't have a sense that, you know, professionals or uh, major comic book companies were seeing them or noticing them. But then when they finally did contact me, they were sort of quoting to me like things that I had made over the last year that they had seen and, and that they had, you know, I was on their radar and they had been wanting to contact me and had been like hoping that something would come up that would be a good fit. It was instant in, in, in the sense of just get getting a call and saying, hey, do you want to work on this? And it was also a big, long journey in being ready for when that call came and being able to say, yes, I'm ready to go and want to do this right now. And the, the weirdest... <laughs> The weirdest thing about it all is that Marvel and DC both emailed me uh, one day apart. <laughs> I found that really, really bizarre. <laughs> I don't know what was going on, what was in the air, or what particular thing I had been posting around then that had, you know, made people be thinking of me. But they did. I remember I got an email from Marvel one day and I got an email from DC the next day. For Marvel, it was just one short thing. It was an eight-page story in uh, Civil War II, Choosing Sides. For DC, it was two issues of Green Arrow. He said yes to both. Then the very next day, he went into work at the gaming company and told them, I'm going to go do this. And they were super good to me and helpful and actually let me kind of go part-time with them for a little while while I did the comic book stuff and kind of transitioned out of the company. This was what Stephen always wanted, to work in comic books. I didn't have a grandmaster plan. I know when I was very young I wanted to make comic books and then as I got a bit older and was like in my late teens, early 20s, I started to feel like this is that's not going to happen. That's not realistic and not really just not really expecting anything of that dream and sort of you know deciding that I wanted to work as an artist and that was what I was going to focus on because it was more practical and so that's what I did and I worked in animation and, and games for the next I don't know five six seven years I don't know exactly how long it was but somewhere along the way I started to sort of my comic book dream started to kind of reignite and I started to refocus on getting good at that particular skill set. I just, I, I also think I noticed, you know, I was getting better as an artist myself and I was applying myself to my art more than I ever had before. Like the older I got, the more time I was spending with it. And so I started to think, well, maybe it could happen. And also I started to meet other people who worked in comic books. And I was like, there's, there's always something that happens when you meet someone who's doing something that you have ambitions to do when you meet someone who's doing it it sort of makes it seem so much more tangible and real and possible and not like this obscure untouchable dream i had done a couple of comic book things before then that were one-offs i had done firefly serenity thing for dark horse an eight pager and i had also done a trick-or-treat sort of Halloween comic, Halloween horror comic one-shot as well. So, and I remember like the first time I got those was those emails, same same kind of feeling. It was like, oh my God, someone th thinks I'm 
good enough to do this. Definitely getting emails from Marvel and DC is kind of like, it was a, a great sense of validation that all the hard work I had been putting in for years and years had not sort of fallen on deaf ears and had been noticed. So yeah, it was a good feeling. Meet Your Maker is presented and produced by me, Liam Garrity. Our theme song is by Breakmaster Cylinder. And the music remixes for Steven's animated videos were by Jeff Ball. If you'd like to help Meet Your Maker go viral, it could happen. Please, please, please tell a friend about us or give us a tweet or write a review on iTunes. It really makes all the difference to our show. Thanks for listening. See you next week.